Christian Questions. Martin Luther once said, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk, and you listen, and then you talk, and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we are glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what's the topic today? I am very excited. Well, Rick, our question this morning is, what's so amazing about grace? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we're talking about grace, amazing grace. And when you say the word grace, even speaking the word seems to give a sense of calm. It's almost as though the word itself emits a fresh and breathable air that clears away the stuffiness of a confused life. Grace can have lots of different meanings, from something that comes with elegance to a powerful heavenly gift. So, what is grace? And, and, and more specifically, what is God's grace? How does it work? Who gets it bestowed upon them? How can grace change your life? What is so amazing about grace? And that's it, Jonathan. That's our subject for this morning. What's so amazing about grace? And Rick, uh, you were mentioning that over the 15 years of us doing this program, we never singly focused on grace. Yeah, shame on me for that. I'll tell you what, I don't know where my head has been for the last 15 years. <laughs> but you're right, we have never, we've done programs that we've talked about, we talk about grace all the time. We talked about grace oftentimes through the eyes of mercy. That's right. And God's love, but we've never used grace as the actual focus of the program. So folks, here it is this morning, what's so amazing about grace. And, and to get things started, Jonathan, the word grace is actually used a lot of different ways in the Bible. When we think about grace, we always think about God's grace. Right, exactly. But the Bible itself uses that word for grace in a lot of different ways. And let's just get started with some scriptural examples of the varied uses of grace in the New Testament. And the first one, we're going to be reading just some short uh, Greek-English lexicon definitions. The first definition is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech. And that's ex- give us an, as an example in Luke 4:22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? All right. And so they were wondering at the gracious lips that were, were, were coming uh, the, the gracious words which are coming from uh, Jesus. And again, that which affords joy and pleasure and delight. So the words that, and that paints a great picture. It does. Because the words that were coming from Jesus as a young, young man were words that brought happiness and delight to those around him. 
And you think that's about that. Yeah, that's not the same as the grace of God. No. It's, it's a description of what those words would do. And Colossians 4, 6 also is another verse that talks about um, our speech that should be the same way. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So, let your speech always be with grace, always be with, with delight, with sweetness, with charm, with loveliness. People should want to, if you're a Christian, people should want to listen to you talk. Think about that for a second. That's interesting. And do they? <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the first definition of grace. The second definition is what? Goodwill, loving, kindness, and favor. And that uh, is uh, shown to us in and, and when we look at grace, Jonathan. Let's just off. Let's go off this definition for a second because you, you were saying before we got started this morning. Uh, when we look at grace, we think of God's grace. What's the definition? The simple definition that you always think of yourself. Undeserved favor. Okay, and I. You're right. I think. Along those same lines, undeserved favor by God, undeserved yes. favor of God. These definitions that we're going over now are not, don't fit that definition. They really don't. But they fit the other meanings of the word for grace. Mm-hmm. So goodwill, loving kindness, favor, Luke 2.52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Okay. And that word favor, Rick, is the word for grace. See, and you know that Jesus wasn't increasing in undeserved uh, um what do you say? Favor. Un- undeserved favor with God because he deserved the favor. That's right. He was perfect. Right. <laughs> so it's in goodwill and loving kindness. He was accepted by so many as he was growing up because there was something about him that was so different and so wholesome. So, so grace in terms of humanity carries with it kind of a wholesomeness as well. Yeah, that's a good point. What's the fourth definition? What is due to grace, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. I'm sorry, that's the third one. I, I can't even count. <laughs> Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were com- committed. So you hear that verse and say, what's that got to do with grace? The word thanks. All right. So what is due to grace? Thanks be to God. So so that gives you another sense of how the word for grace is used in the New Testament. It's used to show thanks. Now the fourth definition actually means thanks. And this is Luke 17, 9. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So those, that's Jesus speaking. Uh, he's teaching a parable, and he's saying in the parable, the, the master doesn't thank the slave or his that's servant. That's his job. Right. Thank. Again, thanks. That's, uh, that word is the same word used for grace. So, so we've got all these definitions. What does all that got to do with anything? It just gives us context of the actual word. Knowing all this, let's focus on the grace of God and what it encompasses. And again, grace, the grace of God is that unmerited favor. One of, we're going to spend a lot of time this morning, Jonathan, talking about a man named John Newton. He is the writer of the hymn, Amazing Grace. And that's probably one of the best-known Christian hymns in all of the world. When you think about it, um, you hear, when you think of the bagpipes playing Amazing Grace, oh, yes. you think of funerals. Absolutely. And that is everywhere yeah. throughout the world. And amazingly, that Christian hymn seems to be acceptable in a lot of other circles, the tune at least. That's right. But everybody knows it's the tune to Amazing Grace. Well, John Newton wrote that hymn. He was a slave ship captain turned devout Christian. His story is a story of 
amazing grace. It really, truly is. And we want to highlight that story this morning. Uh, we're going to go through several sound bites that help us to, to understand the story. We're going to get started. The first sound bite is in the context of John Newton speaking to his congregation. He became a pastor uh, on January 1st in the year 1773. And he was talking to his congregation about the scripture in First Chronicles 17.16. The, then King David, uh, um, then David the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? So he took that scripture and he applied it to himself, basically saying to his congregation, Look, who am I? And why have you brought me this far? Because you know who I was. And he would turn to his congregation and say, What about you? So it's in that context we're going to be listening to the sound bites. From Asbury University, they did a, a program on uh, the story behind the song of Amazing Grace. And, and one of the, the people that are speaking are actual um, experts on the life of, of John Newton. So let's go to this first soundbite on the life of John Newton. And he said to his congregation on that Friday morning, 1st of January, 1773, the Lord gives us many blessings, but unless we are grateful for these, we lose much of the comfort from them. So he said, well never mind David now, what about you and me? When you look back, where were you when the Lord found you? And for himself he says, I was a wretch. And of course if you know the song, the hymn Amazing Grace, it starts out exactly that way. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Exactly. And he's, so he writes that from personal experience, but he spent his life preaching that as well. And his point to his congregation was, and I love the point, unless we're grateful for our blessings, we lose much of the comfort from them. So it's, it's wonderful to have blessings and to say, yes, God has blessed us with this and in this way and in that way in our lives. But unless we are grateful continually the comfort from those blessings becomes idle and then therefore useless. And what good is it? What good is the blessing of God if we don't make use of it? Absolutely. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about amazing grace. I'm sure you have had experiences of God's grace in your life. We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right. We're going to look at God's grace, Jonathan, in a lot of different areas. We're going to start with God's grace in the sinner who seeks redemption. And this is going to be the, the scripture we're going to use as the theme, the, the context of our theme scripture that you read from Ephesians 2.8. So let's get started with Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's a very descriptive way to look at our lives and say, yeah, you were basically dead. You were basically dead in trespass and sin. Your, your, your God was the God of this world. Satan. Not a good place to be. Right. And continuing, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the, our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we were just like everybody else, just hanging out in the degradation of sin, living our lives. 
And when we want to look at that, let's look at the life of John Newton as a very, very, very young man. I'm going to go back to Asbury University, uh, a program they did on the life of John Newton. And this is about his early life, what went into his life, what created the context for his, his, his amazing transformation later on in life. He loved to learn from his mother, and he could um, recite passages of scripture and all of Isaac Watts' hymns. But when his mother died, his father was away at sea for a year. When he came back, he married quite quickly to a young Italian lady, and they went to live in Essex. They had a child, and Newton really got pushed aside. As a crew member on several slave ships, he helped scour the African coast in search of human cargo. Even the young Newton was thrown into chains once and forced to work as a slave himself on a small island off the coast of Sierra Leone. Eventually released from his captivity after about a year, the great blasphemer, as he called himself, went to a life so depraved that even his rough shipmates found it shocking. And you think about that, and, and that, that there's quite a lot of description there, Jonathan. First of all, he's a very, very, very young man. I think he's less than 10 years old when his mother dies. Okay. And his father's away at sea. Wow, so this young man had to live on his own? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm not sure of, of all of the details of that, but when his father comes home, he, he quickly marries somebody else. They have another child, and Newton gets pushed aside. He's no longer important. And so you've got that, that, that frustration. He was a young Christian boy growing up, very much loving that. Influenced by his mom. Right. But he then went to sea at a very early age. By the time he was 17, he was aboard slave ships, sailing around, going to the coast of Africa, looking for human cargo. He himself became a slave. That's amazing. For a year off the coast of Africa. Wow. He was in chains. So you think about that, and you think about the fact that he was in that situation, and then, but would put others in that situation. You think, well, how could you do that knowing what it's like? Yeah. But that, and, and, and what the, the soundbite said was that he called himself the great blasphemer. He lived such a horrific life that even his shipmates on the ship... Now, remember, he's 17, 18, 19, 20 years old at mm -hmm, this time. He's mm -hmm. a very young man. Even his shipmates were shocked at the, at the degradation with which this particular man would live his life. So that's the beginning of the story of John Newton, the writer of one of the most famous hymns in all of the world that touches your heart because of the amazing grace of God. How does the amazing grace of God work in his life and in our life? That's the big question. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. We're talking about So What's Amazing About Grace? Coming up. Is it just grace from God that changes us, or is there more? How about Jesus? How does he fit in? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what's so amazing about grace? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. 
and our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we talk about the subject of grace, amazing grace, you cannot help but talk about the life of John Newton, uh, the writer of that hymn, and the amazing life that he led before his conversion to Christ. He grew up a, a Christian boy, uh, but strayed dramatically, became a slave ship captain. Now, his father was a captain, yes. so he learned from his dad. Right, right. And he went out on his first sailing um, uh, missions with his father and, mm-hmm. and learned to be a captain of a slave, of slave ships, several slave ships, did transported thousands and thousands of people from Africa to, to uh, England uh, for sale. That's the bottom line. He was, he was a very strong mover in the slave trade industry. So as we talk about God's grace and, and the sinner who seeks redemption, uh, John Newton is one of those who we haven't seen him seek redemption yet, but we know he's going to. Yes. Um, getting back to our theme scripture, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, we're going to be picking up with verses 4 and 5. And folks, listen, if you have a thought on grace and what it means to you, or maybe an example of grace uh, in your life or that you've observed, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. So God's grace is shown here as a result of God being rich in mercy... And, be, and why is he rich in mercy? Because of his love. So you have these two other elements that come shining through as major, major players in, in, in the realm of grace. Grace can't happen without mercy, which really can't happen without love. Good point. Th- that's, so, so what's mercy? Because mercy and grace can sometimes get confused. They really can, Rick. Mercy is undeserved compassion bestowed on someone who deserves a negative consequence and thereby m- might mercy brings relief of pain, uh, suffering, or misery. And actually, we did a program on mercy, What Does It Mean to Be Merciful, back in June, June 2nd of this year. And folks, that's a very g- good supplement to today's program because we focused on mercy in that program, talked about grace. Today we're focusing on grace and talking about mercy. So mercy's undeserved compassion versus grace's undeserved favor. Right, and the undeserved compassion helps to relieve pain or suffering or misery because you deserve a negative consequence with mercy, and mercy says, well, no, you're not going to necessarily have to deal with that negative consequence. Now, let's go back to the Ephesians chapter 2 scripture because it's talking about God's being rich in mercy because of his great love, and and then it says it's all through Jesus Christ. That's right. So pick up with verses 6 through 8. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so there you have it. it and, and what I love about this scripture, Jonathan, says, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, we're not there yet. No. But it's giving you a sense of that's the power of the promise. It's, it's speaking the promise as though it's already happened. 
Nice. And it's saying that it, it's it's by grace we've been saved, and it's a gift. It's not something you can you can earn. You can't earn God's grace. It just does. It's not possible. So you know, you define mercy just a, a moment ago. Give us a, a a couple of line definition of grace now. Grace is undeserved favor or standing bestowed upon someone who is not capable of earning such recognition, and thereby brings previously unattainable opportunity. And that helps us understand grace is undeserved favor that it's favor you just could not earn. And we, you know, God's um, grace to us without Jesus, I mean, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't happen. Right, because Jesus had to pay the price. Yes. He had to be the ransom. The blood had to be shed because God is just. And that's one of the other elements that we're going to be getting into in, in the program is God is just, and that's why his grace is so powerful. So we see grace as, as, as a, as a um, part of mercy and God's love. And now let's just finish the verse. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're now in verses 9 through 10. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So... Again, we cannot deserve God's grace, and, and, and the apostle is saying that. Not as a result of works, so you can do all the work you want, but you're not going to earn. not going to count. But the, the work counts from the standpoint of God looking upon our effort and saying, that's good. The work doesn't earn it for us, but he counts our efforts toward our end goal. Through Christ Jesus. And that's the whole point. Through Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, created in Jesus for what? For good works. So you do have to have and have to do good works. So all of that in mind, let's go back to the story of John Newton. We left him being the, he called himself the great blasphemer. Now he's in his late teens, early 20s, running slave ships. He is a cruel, heartless, mean, evil, dark. His father abandoned him. His mother passed he was a slave himself for a year. And, and, you know, he was slave to his own anger and his own vices. He, he really was. And so you have this. Uh, so he, the, the works of John Newton's early life range from dark and evil to, feeble, uh, to a feeble reaching toward God. Occasionally, he would turn his head upward because that's what his background was as, as a child. So let's go back to now the story of John Newton as told through the Asbury University program about how he begins to look in other ways. From time to time, Newton would make some attempts to get back to the faith that his mother had brought him up in. He would have times of prayer, he would even have times of fasting, but it it was like a yo-yo, really. He was up and down all the time. He had no companion to help him, and he certainly didn't seek out any. So he was seeking God, sort of. Here and there, when when the spirit would, I won't say when the spirit moved him, but the mood that, moved that's him. That's better. <laughs> okay, when the mood moved him, he'd look toward God because he. And it, what it tells you, Jonathan, is he felt like his life was missing something. Okay. So he's looking, but really not seeking yet. That's to come very soon. Let's look now at God's grace and the Jewish nation, because in in a lot of Christianity, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about God's grace and the Jewish nation. Romans 11, verses 1 to 6. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? 
may it never be. All right, so there's a first statement in Romans 11 that says, has God rejected? No, 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 no. May it never be. In, in the King James Version, it says, God forbid. That's right, that's okay. right. Let's continue. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? He, how he pleaded with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So the Apostle Paul is using Elijah as an example, saying, look, even when you think you're all alone, there were 7,000 faithful in Israel. That's right. So he's saying, well, I won't tell you what he's saying. Let him tell you what he's saying. Verse 5. In the same way, then, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So he's saying that, in this time, at that time of the apostle, he's saying there are still those of the nation of Israel, even though the nation itself has gone the other way, are, that are, are coming to, to Christ. That's right. So, so is this saying, well, God's grace is limited to those of Israel who accept Jesus now in this life? That's an important question. We're going to get back to the answer on that in just a moment. Because God, we, what we want to do, Jonathan, is look at God's grace in relation to several different types of people. And what we'll end up seeing is that God's grace is bigger than we can even imagine. It's bigger, it's stronger, it's better, because it's founded in such solid basis that we just cannot deny it. Undeserved favor. Yes. Let's go back to uh, Asbury University and the storm that happened in the life of John Newton, the literal storm that happened uh, that helped him to make a great turn. Finally, on March 21, 1748, Newton experienced what he would call his great turning day. In the middle of the night, the 22-year-old was awakened by a violent storm. Cries from his crewmates on deck sounded the alarm. Their ship, the Greyhound, was about to sink. As Newton scrabbled up the ladder to the deck, the man directly above him was hit by a wave, swept overboard, and never seen again. Finally making it to the wheel, the great blasphemer raised his voice not to curse God, but to pray. In words he had not used for many years, John Newton pleaded, Lord, have mercy on us. Hour after hour, sustained only by his call upon God's mercy, Newton attempted to steer the battered ship through the violent seas as down below, the crew sought desperately to stop the holes with bedding and strips of clothing. So at 22 years old, Jonathan, this storm comes up at sea and they're, they're, they're going to perish and they have to fight through the night. And Newton, who is the ship's captain, holding the wheel for 11 hours through the storm. Can you imagine? 22 years old, is not only trying to right the ship, but he's crying out to God to right his ship. Have mercy on us. Yes. He, he's a slave trader. Yes. Why would God show mercy to him being a slave trader? And we will see the answer to that in just a moment. But, uh, Jonathan, let's get back to Israel for a minute. Uh, is God's grace limited to just those of Israel who accept Jesus now in this life? And the answer is no. The answer is absolutely no. God's grace is much bigger than that. Israel, too, will have a great turning day, just like Newton had. Romans 11, verses 11 to 16. I say then, they did not stumble as so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world 
and their failure to, for riches for the Gentiles, how much more will be their fulfillment? So their fulfillment means it's coming at a future time. It's coming, and it's talking about Israel, not in this present time, but at a future time. Jump down to verses 15 and 16. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. So, again, their rejection is reconciliation for the world, but their acceptance shows life from the dead. So it's talking about nation, that the, the nation of Israel is a recipient, will be a recipient still of God's grace. That's what it says in Romans 11. So Christ, Christianity didn't replace right. them. No, no. It's just they, they, Christianity is in addition to the, the, the grace given to Israel. And I think that's a massively important point on this. God's mercy and grace, both, both based on a plan founded upon justice and unbreakable promises. When God makes a promise, Jonathan, you just, he just doesn't break it. One of the things we want to do today is play Amazing Grace. We're going to play one verse per segment, and each time we play a verse, we're going to play it uh, by a different artist, just to give you a sense of the, the, the variety. So sit back, relax. First verse, this is Leanne Rhymes, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace transporting that that is my favorite hymn of all time so when it came time to do a program on amazing grace i'm going yes this is awesome because this is just exactly what i want to do but amazing grace how sweet the sound this is christian questions i'm jonathan here with rick our subject this morning what's so amazing about grace coming up how far can grace go in changing our lives how about paul Look how far he came from where he started. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, What's So Amazing About Grace? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. You really want to do that. CQ Rewind, the full edition, is exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. It is based on our two-hour live Sunday morning broadcasts. 
uh, every Sunday morning like we're doing right now, and it gives you a sense of the program, gives you the scriptures, gives you the sound bites. Bonus material, graphics, illustrations, even responses from callers. And it's all free. Uh, we want you to have it. It's, there's no charge. There's no obligation. Freely, we have received freely. We must, therefore, give. Seek your Rewind, the full edition. Sign up now at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Jonathan, let's go back to the story. And this story just, it, 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 it makes my blood pressure go up because it's so dramatic in what happened in the life of, of John Newton. Now, he's 22 years old. He's been a slave ship captain for several years. He's been, he's been on sailing ships with uh, running slaves for five years now, since he was 17 years old. And there's this amazing storm that happens uh, 11 hours. They're fighting for their lives at sea. And let's go back to the Asbury University uh, program on the life of John Newton and see what happens next. For 11 hours, as the storm raged, Newton remained at the ship's wheel, not knowing if he would live or die. Gradually, the winds lessened and the storm began to calm. Newton's desperate prayer for God's mercy had been answered. For the rest of his life, Newton would mark each March 21st with a day of humiliation, prayer, and praise for his great deliverance from the sea and life of sin he had been living. Newton's dramatic conversion set him on a long, winding path that would take him towards a new life, not in one great leap, but step by step. And I think that's the important thing, Jonathan. So he finds God in this night of terror. This is a new beginning. But it's a step-by-step process. And that's the, the, the great thing about the life of John Newton. And it shows us the way God's grace works. God's grace works in our lives step by step by step. There's not this big miraculous conversion and everything's great. It is a, there's, a, there's God's grace enters in your life. And now instead of hoping for God, now you can begin to have faith in God. And work through right. your, your Christianity. And let's look faith. at the life of the Apostle Paul. Well, not the life, but just a moment in the life of the Apostle Paul to, to exemplify exactly what we're saying happened in the life of, of John Newton there. 1 Corinthians fifteen three to 11. For I deliver to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. So the apostle is just giving a history of Jesus. And notice he's not part of the history here. No, he's not. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So he's given the history of Jesus, and still the apostle Paul is not part of it. No, he's not. Not yet. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Notice the, di- the, the similarity, rather, to, to John Newton, who was a slave driver, a slave uh, a mover, and the apostle Paul, who was persecuting the church of God. He says, I come in later on as one born out of the right time, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because look at my previous track record. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether that I was, I, or they, so we preached, and so you believed. So Paul established his most humble and out-of-step beginnings as a reminder that while we were... 
While where we were, rather, does have some importance, it can never overshadow where the grace of God has brought us or is bringing us. But it's a step-by-step-by-step process. That's the important point here. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Hello, good morning. Uh, It's my turn to praise God. Well, go right ahead. Yeah, I want to thank you and uh, your whole team for making the program possible. You guys are so faithful. I, I thank God for that. Uh, uh, the the John Newton analogy uh, example, wow, that is, that is so powerful because it relates so well to the metaphor of, uh, uh, say, for example, uh, Matthew twenty four twenty two, where it states that, uh, except those days be shortened. Mm-hmm. There'd be no flesh saved. God's intervention in, in um, men's affairs here is it's going to be. It's going to be eventually. Of course, it's going to be realized and appreciated. Uh, just a, a, a quick reference to the days of Lot. Okay. The Lord Jesus compares, you know, our day to the, the days of Lot. When Abraham he prayed, uh, couldn't you save that those people if there were fifty righteous, forty? 30, 20, remember the... Yeah, yeah, he's bargaining. Uh, uh, brothers, brothers, we're heading in that direction. I, I mean, uh, the the uh, godlessness, uh, there's, you know, the people turn away from God. Uh, the ship is headed in the wrong, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit bottom, and only God can save us. But anyway, uh, uh, Isaiah 25, 9, eventually men will say, will praise God, this is our God. We have waited for him. He has saved us. That's the time I look forward to, praising God for his grace, for his favor. And finally, uh, my daughter-in-law, she brought the scripture up uh, last uh, Sunday. We had a Thanksgiving service. One of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Bye-bye. And uh, again, it just gives you a sense of the greatness of God's grace. Let everything that has breath give thanks. Why? Because God's grace is bigger than we can even imagine. Thanks, Julius. We appreciate it. So, so Jonathan, we were talking about the Apostle Paul. Let's go back. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the story of John Newton first. Uh, remember, he comes through this great dramatic transformation, but it's a small step-by-step process. Let's hear what happens next. It was through this experience at sea and his prayer crying for mercy that Newton's life began to be completely transformed. It wasn't a sudden overnight change, although some things happened immediately. He stopped blaspheming, he didn't swear again, and he began to read the Bible. But looking back later in life on this experience, he said, surely if I had any light then, it was as the first faint streak of dawn. What a telling statement from a mature Christian, John Newton, later in life, looking back on his earlier life and that great... See, we look at the great dramatic conversion and we say, that's the moment. But John Newton himself said, no, that wasn't the moment. That was the first of many moments. I like it. Of God's grace growing in my life. And I only had a faint streak of light at that point because I had to grow up. And that's the way it was with the Apostle Paul. Remember, the great service of the Apostle Paul was not achieved at his conversion. No, it wasn't. He wasn't converted and the next day went out there. 
and, and started preaching the gospel, several years passed before he even went out to preach. His great service was a result of consistently living a grace-filled life. And even in the midst of that grace-filled life, it had challenges. Second uh, Corinthians twelve seven to 10 Because of thy surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, see, this is when the Apostle Paul is already strong. He's already out there. He's already proving his mettle uh, before God. And yet he has this, 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 this thorn in the flesh, and he, he's praying earnestly that it be, be removed. He's already strong in the Lord. Okay, He's already undergoing hardship, but he prayed. And but Je- Jesus said no, right? And Jesus says no. What does Jesus say to him? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So you have Jesus saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Was gra- Paul crushed at that statement? No, he was made stronger because he understood the power, the transforming power of grace in our everyday existence. Here's his reaction. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I will be content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, physically, then I am strong spiritually. And you see the the parallel between the life of John Newton and the life of the Apostle Paul. The growing up in Christ and both of them understanding they had to grow up and go further and further and further to get into uh, living a life of grace. Grace is that unmerited favor. It gives us an opportunity that we could not earn. What do we do with that opportunity? John Newton, in his life, knew he couldn't earn the opportunity of God's favor, but it was given to him anyway, despite the wretchedness of his life. And again, John Newton is best known for the hymn Amazing Grace, but his life was much bigger than writing one hymn, Jonathan. Oh, yes, it was. speaking of the hymn, let's go back now to another verse of Amazing Grace. We told you we're going to play a verse uh, each segment uh, from a different artist. This uh, second verse of Amazing Grace is done by Michael Crawford. was grace that taught my heart to listen to that hymn all day long. <laughs> I could. I, I absolutely could. It is, it, it, when I hear that, this is one of those things, one of the little secrets of my own life, Jonathan, is when life gets out of hand and life gets stressed and, and, I, and I sort of lose my own grip on what I'm supposed to do and where I'm supposed to go, that's one of the things that helps to bring me back. You put amazing grace on. I do. And, you know, you can, you can hear it by 150 different artists and it's beautiful every single time. And when you think about the sentiments about how small and insignificant we are and how great and mighty and transformative the grace of God is. 
all you can do is be is is, is soak it up and be transformed by it. And that's the point. That's the point of the life of John Newton that we're discussing, the point of, of discussing uh, uh, the amazing grace as, it, uh, as expressed to, to someone who is a sinner. This is how we started the program, amazing grace. The sinners looking for, um, looking for God. You have to take those first small steps. And you know what? That initial transformation, that initial conversion, that's a wonderful thing. But that's only the beginning, it's not the end. And so often we mistake the, the, the beginning for the end. We think, okay, now I'm safe. No, now I'm starting. That's what it boils down to. And then we looked at God's grace to the Jewish nation. And we realized that according to Scripture, the Jewish nation is not over. They're not done. They're not through. No, God's grace is going to be applied to them in a mighty way in the near future. A mighty way. And then we looked at God's grace in relation to the Apostle Paul and how it had to grow in his life as well. And that's what God's amazing grace really is. And the more we go into John Newton's life, he's going to really live by this Philippians 4.13 scripture as we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that scripture is a great example of what amazing grace truly is. Folks, listen. This is probably one of the most important subjects we will ever talk about is understanding the power of of God's grace and how it changes things if we choose to live with it each and every day. Listen, if we're not on in your area for the next hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us. There is so much more to come in the life of John Newton. You think writing Amazing Grace was amazing? Watch what else he did with his life to show the grace of God working in him. For Jonathan and Rick in Christian Questions, we're talking about God's grace, God's amazing grace, and how it changes everything. We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, what's so amazing about grace? We are just beginning. We'll be back soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Anne Lamott once said, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have a wonderful, wonderful topic this morning. We, we really do, Rick. Um, the question this morning, what's so amazing about grace? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And to illustrate the amazing grace of God, we are looking at several scriptural examples of God's grace. Yes, we are. But we're also looking at the life of one John Newton. And he wrote the song, the hymn, Amazing Grace. Which is probably the most well-respected, most sung, most recognized hymn, Christian hymn, in all the world. You're right. Uh, And he was a vile creature early in his life. 
vile. He was an awful man. He called himself a wretch. He, he called himself the great blasphemer is what he called himself. Okay. <laughs> and uh, at a very young age, he began um, um, working on slave ships at the age of 17. Uh, he became a slave ship captain very, very early in his life. Uh, by age 22... Uh, he had already been a slave. He was actually captured and a slave for almost a year off the coast of Africa wow. during that period of time. Age 22, uh, he lived through, he and his crew, or most of his crew, lived through a horrific all-night storm at sea. Uh, and he had cried out to God for mercy during that storm, and God answered his prayer. And he began the pr- conversion process of his life to be from wretch to lover of God to servant of God to dedicated force for God. And we're going to see that um, unfold as we go. So what we want to do is continue the story of John Newton looking at his the unfolding of God's grace in his life and compare that to the unfolding of God's grace in our life through the scriptures. We're going to go back to the Asbury University program that was done on the life of John Newton. And this is after his conversion. And now he's taking these small steps. And now he's beginning to grow in Christ. Captain Newton came home from the sea to stay in 1754. He was 29. And it would be 18 years before he wrote his most famous of hymns. During this time, he grew in faith and knowledge as he learned both Hebrew and Greek. He also became friends with prominent preachers of the day, among them George Whitfield and John Wesley. Church leaders in the area gradually heard about Newton's amazing story and invited him to speak. The idea that Newton might have a higher calling was planted. He decided to apply for formal ordination. Now, see, there's several interesting things here, Jonathan. He has that amazing conversion at age 22, but he doesn't quit the slave ships at age 22. Wow. So he's still working on slave ships for several years after. Now, record has it that his treatment of the slaves dramatically changed. Okay. But he was still running slaves. Make no mistake. That's too bad. And, And what you see, though, is you see the small steps that happened in his life to transform him to what he was going to become. And just because he got the conversion and the grace of God beginning to work in him doesn't mean the grace of God was finished with him. It was only starting. So we all have hope well, and that we can improve and that, step that's by the step. Point. You know, sometimes you've got the grace of God working in your life and you are in an unfinished work. Yes. And you know the saying, never judge an artist by his unfinished work. So when you do that, when we look at at others and say, well, and you call yourself a Christian, the response in our own hearts ought to be, wait a minute, am I judging God by his unfinished work? I love it. (laughs) And that's the life of John Newton. And we're going to see how he develops as we go through the program. Folks, if you have a thought on grace, on the story of God's grace in your life, or John Newton or whatever, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-985. 4255 toll free 866-985 for all we are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 and that means we're on right now Christian Questions a weekly habit that's good for you thanks for tuning us in every Sunday morning from 7 to 9 join our conversation any day and time at christianquestions.com let's look at God's grace in our prayers we looked at God's grace and the sinner looking for redemption we looked at God's grace in the Jewish nation we looked at God's grace and the Apostle Paul what about now God's grace in our prayers Hebrews 4 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. So we have great inspiration. That's what that part of the scripture is saying. Jesus is our inspiration. He understands us because he himself was human. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love the phrase, the throne of grace. So do I. The throne of unmerited favor. That's what it is. Prayer is grace. It is grace because through justice, being satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus, we now have a method through which we might approach God. Why did God, through Jesus, satisfy justice? Because he loves us. He loves us. That's right. There, there's, you see, you've got to put all of the pieces together, and grace standing by itself is a magnificent thing. Yes, it is. But grace in the context of the rest of the character of God is an incomprehensible thing. And that's what we want to try to get to as we go through this this morning. Is God's grace so strong in our life that we are ever looking at how we can better serve him? That's, that's the way John Newton looked toward his life. That's the way the Apostle Paul did, too. Exactly. And that's the way we, therefore, ought to be looking at our own lives. So let's go back to the life of John Newton. Again, Asbury University's uh, program on his life. And, uh, you know, his early life, Jonathan, was very, very dramatic. You know, the slave ship thing, the, 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 the miraculous uh, survival through that incredible storm. You've got a lot of very dramatic things. Well, what happens to all of this? Let's, let's listen. His authentic narrative, the letters about his experience up until that point, were published. And what is very interesting, coming back to this theme of slave trading, is that this book was so popular, it, was, it went through many editions, and it was translated into French and German and Dutch. So it went round the world, but nobody ever questioned the slave trading issue. Because at that stage, nobody was questioning it anyway. So there, there's, there's two things that, there that, that just are amazing. And I don't want to overuse the word amazing, but today is an amazing day. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. The first thing that's amazing is that he writes down his experiences. And they are soaked up by not only society in Britain, but all over the world. His, his writings are translated into all these different languages, and they become popular in many, many, many countries. That's an amazing thing, because he's, he's still a very, very young man at this point. But the other amazing thing is, he expresses all of this, and nobody is questioning the slave trade. How sad. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, what happens is, we see things as we've always seen them. And therefore, don't question them. Does that make it right to not question them? No. It just makes it that we are blinded by our own existence. We're blinded by our own our own habits. We're blinded by the norms of of society. Exactly. Exactly. So we have to find ways to rise above those things. And John Newton did. And that's the amazing thing. The other another amazing thing about Amazing Grace and, and John Newton's life as we will get into shortly. But Jonathan, right now, let's go back to uh, talking about prayer and God's grace in our prayers. And again, folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. How do we position ourselves to maximize the grace privilege of prayer? Well, let's go to John chapter 15. Remember, this is the last night before Jesus is crucified. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this 
that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. All right, so the first thing to position ourselves to maximize the grace privilege of prayer is to do what Jesus says by doing what he did. And that's the great thing about Jesus is he never said anything that he didn't he himself do. And that's what a real true leader and example is. So the first thing, to position ourselves to maximize the grace privilege of prayer, do what Jesus says by doing what he did. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So the second thing then is to live in an elevated state. We are no longer servants, but now Jesus says we are friends. For it's here in this elevated state of friendship that we can hear the will of God. Undeserved favor, Rick. Yeah, wow. Well, right. There's grace right there. There you have it. Yeah. What do we do to deserve that? Nothing. All right. Continue. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So here is where he mentions our prayer life. It's after those first two steps, doing uh, what Jesus says by doing what he did, living in an elevated state, and then live a transformed life in his service. And then when you ask, grace will abound. So it's, you say, well, how come, it's, if, the, if the scripture says, ask what you will, and you know, my father will give it to you, and then you say, well, how come I ask for things and I don't get them? Well, maybe you need to go back over the first two parts of the scripture. <laughs> Seriously, because you don't find the, the, the expectations of grace fulfilled unless the life of grace is lived. See, and, and that is what is so important about the grace of God. It is magnificent, but we have to step into it, we have to accept it, and we have to learn to live it. Folks, again, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions and comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and our always updated blog. ChristianQuestions.com. Now, live a transformed life in the face of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Live transformed. That's living the unmerited favor of God's grace. Romans eight twelve to 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. See, this is the living that elevated life that Jesus was explaining to us previously. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. It's amazing. You go from slave to son. What a transformation. Do you deserve it? No. God's grace? Yes. The Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. If we suffer, we will be glorified. God's grace abounds when we put ourselves in the right place. Jonathan, let's go to another verse of Amazing Grace, my favorite hymn of all time. And this is the third verse. I love this verse. This is a very special verse in terms of the, of the, of the intensity of the experience of God's grace. And this is sung by Celtic Woman. Oh, 
I don't know, it melts me, I think. <laughs> awesome. It is just, it is a magnificent um, sense to be able to just sit back and listen and be reminded of the, the manifold graces of God. Let, let's look at Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, as we end this segment. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And sometimes God's grace doesn't come when we look for it or expect it. But if we are in a position uh, to, to want it by the way we're living, then we can see the answer. His timing is always right. Rick. It always is. And isn't that the greatness of God's grace? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what's so amazing about grace? Coming up, what about God's grace and the unbelieving world? Are they lost forever? What happens if they don't believe in Jesus before they die? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what's so amazing about grace? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, we are going through a magnificent subject on the grace of God, the unmerited favor that God can make available to us if we would just live our lives in such a way as to want it, to accept it, and to be transformed by it. We're looking at the transformation of John Newton back in the 1700s, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, several other hymns, as a matter of fact. And, and just, just a little bit of a quick John Newton trivia, if you will. Um, there were actually 13 verses written to the hymn Amazing Grace. Wow. Uh, he didn't write all of them. He wrote several of them. Uh, he did not write what is the, the last verse. That uh, we know yeah, of today. Right, when we've been there 10,000 years. That was not a John Newton original. Nobody knows where that exactly that came from. They think it came from America. Okay. And the other interesting tidbit on this, on Amazing Grace, the hymn, is that the music that we know Amazing Grace to mm-hmm. was not the original music that Newton put it to. Really? That I, wow. they think came also when... Um, the hymn came to America, and it got changed. And there's there's talk and thought that that music came through some American slaves. Now nobody knows for sure, okay. but there's 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 that thought. So just a, a few pieces on on the hymn Amazing Grace and 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 so forth. Let's get back to John Newton and his life, though. And remember, he's converted. He is now working as an advocate for Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful thing. But nobody up to this point has challenged the slave trade. Because it was the norm. Right, because it was the way things were. Well, let's get to the next stage in John Newton's life, uh, as uh, told to us by the Asbury University program story on the life of John Newton. In the years after writing Amazing Grace, Newton moved to a larger, more influential post as pastor in a church in London's financial district. The former slave ship captain went on to not only renounce slavery, but work actively to abolish it. Nineteen years before his death, the aging Newton would publish his thoughts on the African slave trade. His harrowing eyewitness account of the appalling conditions on slave ships and the brutal atrocities practiced on slaves provided abolitionists like his young parliamentarian friend William Wilberforce with powerful evidence they needed to educate a misinformed public. 
So John Newton's experience, he now writes down, and he now begins to understand that the slave trade is not an acceptable behavior and a practice that should be should go on, and he starts to do something about it. So he what and what he does, Jonathan, is he simply writes down his own personal life experience and says, "This is what we did. This is how we did it." And if you've not seen the movie Amazing Grace, rent the movie and watch it because it shows the influence of John Newton behind William Wilberforce. But it's really not about John Newton. No, is it's it? not. It's about William Wilberforce. But make no mistake, John Newton is the man behind. Wilberforce's undying dedication to the abolishing of slavery in Britain. It's a tremendous movie, but you see Newton changing, God's grace growing in him. That's the key. Let's look at God's grace uh, related to the unbelieving world of mankind. What if the call of the true church was there to, in a worldwide sense, help to abolish slavery, just as John Newton did? Slavery from sin and death. Yes. What if? The call of the true church was there to do that. Well, think about this. Romans 8, uh, 18 to 22. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So the Apostle Paul himself is saying the anxious longing of the world is waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. They can't wait. So they're looking for something. Because they're in misery. Right. And they want to be relieved from that misery, released from that slavery to sin and death. And they're waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the true church. So they can become children of God. So they can have a piece of God's grace is what it boils down to. So in Romans chapter 8. What we're hearing is that the world of mankind will have their turn at experiencing the magnanimous grace of God. That's Un- amazing. Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday. To you, too. And we have 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has bestowed on us everything that makes for life and devotion. Jesus died in apparent disgrace, but conquered the world's mightiest empire with God's grace. Through his sacrifice and example, the gift of grace brings victory to our life. Isaiah 49, 8. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. On a day of salvation, I have helped you. Every moment of our lives, is an opportunity to accept grace and bring it to others. For the Christian, this is not a bumper sticker, but a reality. From waiting patiently at a traffic light, a kind word, a dinner carefully made, every moment can be in holiness. 2 Corinthians 6.1 As we work together with him, we urge you not to accept the grace of God in vain. Randall, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. I love his statement. Jesus died in apparent disgrace, but in fact was the embodiment 
of God's grace. Now, I changed the words a little bit, but that's the, the thought that Randall gave us. Jesus died, and when you look at that, you see the disgrace of the cross. Yes. But it was by assuming the disgrace of the cross that he assumed the sin of mankind and brought the grace of God to the forefront for all the world of mankind. Thanks, Randall. We really, really appreciate your thoughts. Jonathan, let's just take another moment, go back to Asbury University's program on uh, the life of uh, John Newton and look at how he now became an influence, a real, true influence to abolish slavery in Britain. So let's go back to uh, another soundbite from Asbury University. Wilberforce would take up the fight to abolish the slave trade. But it gets even better than that. Uh, when we were working on the film Amazing Grace, the thing that was so remarkable is that we know that Newton was with Wilberforce on that Sunday, October 28, 1787, when he wrote in his diary, God has placed before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of my country's manners, that is, the work of cultural renewal and reform. Newton was with him on that Sunday. And so for Wilberforce to sit down, take quill pen in hand, dip it in the inkwell, and write that diary entry, we can lay a lot of the inspiration for Wilberforce finally settling upon that resolve at Newton's door. So Will, William Wilberforce, I think it was about a 14-year fight, if I remember right, to, to uh, end slavery in Britain. Wow. And it was John Newton who was behind him saying, you need to do this. This is your calling. And so you see how John Newton, the transformation just continued and continued and continued. And he went from, he, he went from, from hoping for, for, for God to having faith in God to living faith in God to now becoming a force for the grace of God to those around him. He became a transformational force himself. That is the amazing part of God's grace. Let's look at further at the God's grace and the unbelieving world of mankind. We mentioned in Romans 8 that it says, yes, the world waits for the manifestation of the sons of God so they can have grace just like the sons of God do. Well, is that really what it says? Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses, we're going to go actually 5, uh, 12 to 21. We're going to break it up into pieces. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was the type of him who is to come. So Adam was entirely responsible for inherited human sin. That's what Romans is telling us. Death reigned even before the Jewish law was given. But the law identified it, right? Right. The law made it clear that, okay, this is what sin looks like. Therefore, the penalty was clearly upon all humanity. Everybody, if you had the law or not, was still under the penalty of, of death through Adam. That's right. Now let's go Romans 5, verses 15 to 17. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression... Of the one, the many died. All right, what says the many died? The many must mean all humanity according to the above context, what we just read. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. All right, so if the many in the previous sentence meant the world, all, it still means all here. The gift is not like that of which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Okay, so the apostle's going at it again. Again, 
who did death reign over? Everybody, right? Everyone, and that's what he's saying here. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace, of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. All right, but here there's a qualifier. It says, aha, there is a qualifier here applying to the called out ones. Those who will receive the, gr- the grace of the gift of righteousness and will reign through life in Christ Jesus. In heaven. Right. So a reign, it shows a reign for those uh, they're given an authority. But now let's continue. Does that mean they're the only ones given the, the grace of God? Romans 5, now 18 to 21. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. So the qualifier now is gone. And this one is, this, this verse is very plain. All men. Okay, yes. you, you don't have to pick and choose which denomination, which, which, which nationality, which time frame. It says all men. Because all men were, were subject to the transgression of Adam. Therefore... They must be included, Rick. They have to be. Let's continue. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. And that's right on the heels of saying all men. So it says... All men were made sinners. All men will therefore be made righteous. That is the grace of God expanding to not just us, but all men. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So bottom line, Jonathan, is grace replaces sin on a wholesale scale. Wow. All right. Um, That is undeserved favor. And who does that undeserved favor go to? Everyone. Every man, woman, and child that ever lived. Because Jesus did what he did. Jesus cancels the sin of Adam. Adam plunges the world into sin and death. Jesus lifts the world out of sin and death. You see God's justice. That makes me think of the restitution scriptures and acts. What needs to be restored? Well, what was lost? What was lost? The the perfect world. Humanity in a perfect world. And so you see, justice is a major, major part of the grace of God. You have to have justice in order to have true grace. Justice now gives you an opportunity for mercy to work. Mercy works because love is there. Love is there and, and it opens the door for grace. All of these things put together create the environment that we're looking at. Let's take another walk through the hymn Amazing Grace. And we're going to actually replay the first verse. We just want to hear it from a different perspective. This is Il Devo, the four tenors. Uh, First verse of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that said the rich like thee, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I imagine that being applied to the whole world, not just to those who are finding Christ now, but in the day of judgment to the whole world. Now that, my friends, is amazing grace. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, our subject this morning. What's so amazing about grace? Coming up, so where does grace bring us ultimately? 
How do love, justice, mercy, and grace work together to fulfill God's destiny for humanity? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what's so amazing about grace? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, as we continue this conversation about God's unbelievably amazing grace. We've been focusing on the life of John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, and finding out that he did much more than write a hymn. Oh, he did. He was a slave. Uh, he, he ran slaves uh, for, for several years early in his life. He got converted to Christianity, and he grew in faith, and he was a primary force behind the abolishing of slavery in Britain. Uh, in Britain. A primary force because of the experiences of his life and the humility with which he recounted those experiences. So let's go one um, last time to the story of John Newton as told in the Asbury University uh, program on his life. As Newton approached death, his eyesight and memory began to fail. One by one, those who had loved him came to say their goodbyes. To one of these close friends, William J., Newton made his now famous declaration. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great Savior. He died in 1807 at the age of 82, nine months after witnessing the answer to many prayers, the successful passage of the Act for the Abolition of the Slave Trade. Isn't that unbelievable? It is. That statement, I am a great sinner. I, this is all I remember. My memory is gone. I remember that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That is encompassing the value of God's amazing grace through Jesus. And by God's grace, he was able to see nine months earlier how slavery ended in Great Britain. And it was largely to his own efforts because of his life and his humility in coming to Christ. Just a great, great story. Psalm 116, 12 to 18. This is dedicated for all of those who live their lives in accordance with the will of Jesus Christ. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And you look at the life of John Newton and you see how he fulfilled so much of this verse. He really did. He he paid his vows to the Lord in the presence of everyone. He confessed to those things which he had done and took a strong stand in abolishing the things that he had done to be able to continue to be done uh, against public will, uh, uh, against against political forces that were very, very great. Yes. And, and, and he took the stand of God's grace in his life and he dedicated his life to the service of God through Christ. What a great, great example. So, Jonathan, that's just inspiring. 
It really is. Amazing, amazing grace. So, Jonathan, let's finish this up. God's grace is linked, as a link, rather, uh, in the great plan of redemption in life. Grace, then, is but one link in the glorious plan of God. We've been alluding to several other parts to the plan of God. That's right. There was justice, there was love, and there was mercy also, Rick. So, justice, love, mercy, and grace, they all fit together. God is love. That's where I think the plan actually starts. Let's sort of recap these four things and how they work together to get us to God's amazing grace. Love is the foundation of creation, for it is the driving force that endows all that is created with an unmistakable harmony of purpose. Love gave birth to communication, adoration, and the sacred music of discipleship. Love needs justice to flourish. So love is the foundation. God is love. Now what does that mean? See, we so often misinterpret that as God is love, so he just wants you to be as you know, what's comfortable for you. That's not it at all. Love is so much bigger than that. Love love in order for it to really do its work, it has to. It has to have justice in place for it to really truly flourish so so what about justice justice is driven by love it is the even-handed consequence bestowed upon someone based upon righteous treatment in response to their actions words motivations and thereby brings equity and balance justice holds to mercy to anchor its force so justice then needs it and is driven by love because justice is the is an equitable uh, um, uh, application. That's what it, it 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 puts things in place with pure, simple, unadulterated equity. If it has love as its basis, that's where justice goes. See, too often we see justice go way, way too too far over the edge. Yes, but you can't have justice um, apply over the edge if if you've got love there. And now, what happens now is mercy is the anchor for the force of justice. Because along with justice, we have seen God's mercy show up so many times. The whole point of grace is it's unmerited favor. Right. You can't have unmerited favor unless you have mercy first. Undeserved compassion. All right. So let's go and uh, just get a little bit of understanding of how mercy fits in. So far we've got love and justice as these links of the great plan of redemption. Mercy would not exist but for justice. Mercy is undeserved compassion bestowed upon someone who deserves a negative consequence, and mercy thereby brings relief of pain, suffering, or misery. Mercy seeks grace to multiply its reach. You can't have true mercy without having true justice. If there is no true justice, there is no true mercy. If there is no love, justice has no place to flourish. If there's no uh, justice, you don't have a place for mercy to flourish. See, mercy is that undeserved compassion when you deserve a negative consequence that lightens up some of that consequence. Mm-hmm. Mercy helps to, uh, it brings relief of pain and suffering and misery. That's what mercy does. But mercy is incomplete by itself. Mercy must have grace to multiply its reach. Now, what about grace? Grace is born out of mercy. Grace is undeserved favor or standing bestowed upon someone who is not capable of earning such recognition and thereby brings previously unattainable opportunity. Grace is defined by love. And so it goes around in a great big circle, doesn't it? It does. So, And we are focusing on God's grace here and how God's grace 
has to be born out of mercy. And when you look at the life of John Newton, you see this. You see this whole thing just laid out before you. God's grace is born out of mercy. Uh, grace is undeserved favor or standing, and it's an undeserved opportunity. An opportunity that you would have never been able to attain unto. Not, a, not a by yourself. Right, but because of God's grace, now the opportunity is opened up. So, and, and, and we know that all four of these things work together because the scriptures tell us they do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, it gives us a sense of all of these four things working together. But God, being rich in mercy... Okay, obviously there you have mercy. ...because of his great love, with which he loved us... Mercy and love. ...even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Okay, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So you have the justice part coming out there. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You notice how in that scripture it quickly mentions mercy, it quickly mentions love, it quickly mentions justice, then it just sort of parks itself talking about God's grace. Mm-hmm. So God's grace, Jonathan, that's, and that's why we, we, we get so excited about the grace of God because it is, it is a very, it, it, it's a big part of the character of God, but it's one of those long-lasting parts of the character of God that you can experience day after day after day after day after day, year after year. Again, John Newton, you look at his life. Look at the Apostle Paul's life and how the grace of God through Jesus was what kept him, what motivated him, and what gave him strength. What did Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. So grace is is a moving power that changes our lives. Now the result of God's grace, the big result of God's grace the everlasting result of God's grace. is shown to us now in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 10. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. But the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's a prophecy. There are several prophecies in the Old Testament that give us that sense of the grace of God being applied to the world, entirely to the world. The eyes of the blind being opened and so forth. What a massive application of God's grace. Let's go to the last verse of Amazing Grace, Jonathan. Uh, This is the last verse sung by Judy Collins. When we Amazing grace. It is just amazing. You know, you're there 10,000 years and you just haven't even started yet. That's like, right. Okay, that's the warm-up for the warm-up, which is the warm-up for the warm-up. 
<laughs> and that's all it is. I mean, when you think about eternity, folks, it's so far beyond our minds. And God's grace, God's grace opens the door to eternity. You understand how powerful that is and how it is available for every man, woman, and child who ever lived. Some in heaven, some on earth. But it's God's grace, make no mistake, through Jesus that it all happens. One last scripture, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Beloved, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Think about that. That's a scripture in Revelation that's almost right at the very, very, very end of all of the book of Revelation. Amazing grace. And it talks about he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. Now, why is that? Because the amazing grace of God and his great plan of redemption of life said... Adam sinned. Jesus died as a sacrifice for Adam's sin. Therefore, everyone subject to the sin of Adam is now subject to the grace of God through Jesus' sacrifice. So, Jonathan, we see grace as an unfolding force in our lives. And, here's, and when we look at the life of John Newton, here's how it started. John Newton started hoping for God's grace. He started hoping and, and, and looking for God's grace and praying and not being not sure Then he went to a point of having faith in God's grace. And that faith was transformative to him, small step by small step. And then he went to the point of living a life of God's grace and being transformed. And then he went to a point of becoming a force for God's grace in others. That is the pathway of God's grace in our lives. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, this is all about the amazing grace of God through Jesus. What's so amazing about grace? Till next time, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, think about it. <laughs>